Greetings and welcome to a scarce edition of the Stats Bomb Podcast with me, James York, and... Ted Knutson. Hey. How's it going, Ted? Are we doing this? It's been ages. It really has, yeah. It's been like... We did one at the end of January to to talk about transfers. Then, I don't know, we just haven't done one, have we? Everything's gone a bit quiet. We've been just been busy, really. It's really busy. Uh, I apologize. You know, we, we get asked regularly to do more, and this isn't us being obstinate. It's just literally not having the time. So... Uh, let's see, today we are going to talk a bit and catch up on the Premier League, and we're also going to have a bit of championship action, because the last day is insane, in a, in a positive, weird way. Um, so where do you want to start, James? Well, you know, the Premier League is, is pretty much done, isn't it, at the top? You know, the top's always interesting. Just the 16-point gap uh, between the Manchester teams? We can, we can perhaps give Man City the title now. <laughs> <laughs> They've just about got there. But yeah, I mean... Credit Man City, they've been awesome. Uh, their little blip in the last month or so kind of took the shine off it briefly and knocked out of the Champions League. But we shouldn't we shouldn't understate their value and their quality. They've been like the best team on the numbers in this league for I don't know since we've got numbers. I think by some quite large margin. So, yeah, it was kind of. I remember very early on in the season, I posted a tweet saying that like Manchester United, I think, it, or Manchester City, like after the first ten games, are so dominant right now that they look like Pep's best Barcelona teams in terms of dominance, uh, and they're doing it without Messi. And boy, did I get battered by everybody! Oh my God, it's too early. I'm like, look, I'm talking to you about the early numbers here. This is what there is some extrapolation. You know what will happen as the the uh, you know season gets more condensed and the games matter more. We don't know, but right now they've got 102 goals in 35 matches. They've given up 26. Their goal difference is plus 76, and they've got 93 points. And there's a pretty reasonable chance that they could eke out 100, which is you know a hell of an achievement. Like this is this is a great Premier League team. It's also a Premier League team that got knocked out of the Champions League by another very good Premier League team yeah. who probably play a style that I think has, has been difficult for Guardiola over the years. Like that Liverpool style that uh, Klopp sort of implemented was not dissimilar to the, the Henkes style from the, the treble that knocked you know a team out, uh, previous Barcelona teams and stuff like that. So it's a, uh, yeah, ignore the stuff that happened in the CL, like you want to talk about great teams or not, like Barcelona are running away with their league, but they're also not in, <laughs> didn't even make the final four. So uh, this is a great Premier League team and they deserve to have credit for that. <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. I mean, if I'm going to be mischievous, I would say that uh, they haven't been quite as good in the second half of the season as the first half of the season. But that first half of the season was absolutely unbelievable. And maybe, well, it's hard to keep the pedal down, right? Okay. Like if you if you've just completely cleared everything in your path, and you're like, yeah, yeah, whatever. Yeah. And it's <laughs> and it's possible as well that like Liverpool have like so certainly closed the gap. You know, Liverpool are a very good team. Tottenham have been on a good run since Christmas as well. And you know that. that it's not to denigrate Man City's achievements because, you know, they did the hard work early and they've just kind of not quite coasted in. They're, they're still routinely turning up and smashing anyone that isn't isn't very good. Uh, and that's and that's going to that's going to carry on. Next season will be interesting, though, because I think everyone's going to presume that Man City will run away with it and they will be heavy favourites and probably justifiably so. But. I, I just wonder if they, you know, they'll, they'll just come slightly back down to earth because they're so far up there this season. It's been, you know, almost the perfect season with regard uh, their Premier League campaign. 
It's true. Uh, I think one of the reasons it's so easy for them is they're so deep. And and that's actually probably the reason why it's it's been very challenging for Liverpool because they don't have that depth. They don't have the extra 250 million in spend across you know five positions that are basically you know bench players or or, or you know squad depth. They also don't have the same quality uh, academy as Manchester City, but City don't necessarily use their academy. They like they there are guys or they use them in in many of their other clubs, well, <laughs> of yeah. which they're like six. Um, so. Beyond Manchester City, though, there's an interesting underlying numbers thing going on here. Um, you, know, you look at the table, Manchester United have basically locked up second. Liverpool and Tottenham are, are fighting for third, fourth, but like, you know, they're pretty solidly third, fourth. And then you got Chelsea, Chelsea, Arsenal. So like the top six are the top six, but like Arsenal are almost not the top six in a way because like Burnley are kind of right there, three points behind them. But like you look at the underlying numbers and Manchester United, have about a goal difference of expected goals of like 0.4 a game, so 0.40. Liverpool are like 1.16, so almost three quarters of a goal better per game. And like United on the the shot numbers, like the basic shot numbers, they're not even two shots better than their opponents a game. That's funky. And it's not just United, right? Like you go down and uh, Tottenham are 0.93, so they look like the third best team. Uh, Chelsea look like the the fourth best team. Arsenal look like the fifth best team. It's not until you get to the sixth best team uh, you hit Manchester United's goal difference. Now David de Gea is a big part of that, uh, and you know, we've got some cool stuff that will be in our next pod that we'll talk about. Um, that I'm not going to spoil right now, but we'll we'll maybe have a, a further discussion in that area. But it's been a weird season for United. It's not weird for almost anybody else. It's just weird for United and their performance. And Jose hasn't really had this kind of oddity on the XG side before. Um, you know, is this sustainable? Should we expect to fall? What's going on there? I don't know. Like, do you have any insight on, on United? We'll get to Liverpool in a second, too, because they've got some a different weirdness that I wanted to discuss. But. Yeah, I mean, De Gea is a huge part of it. And it's, it's interesting because, like, you know, this in, in this world... N- nascent world of uh, expected goals being like kind of accepted slightly in a more broader context uh, people have noticed that like you know he uh, man united should have conceded x amount of goals and i think it's something like 15 goals that like they're ahead on the defensive side and of course de gea's got all the credit for this and of course de gea is very good um it's probably <laughs> i think mean, some of it is de gea and some of it is just some some kind of odd variance going on uh it's, but it's, it's Probably a bit of both. I, I won't disagree with that. It, it, it usually is, but De Gea's getting all the credit at the moment. It's almost like, yeah, I've, every now and again I feel like we should remind people about like the core fundamentals. And uh, I think our listeners are probably up to speed with all this. But I think the broader world will it'll take a little bit more time before people understand that you you can't like you can't just use a simple basic expected goals model without any bells and whistles and just say it's all the keeper. <laughs> it's some the keeper, and we we have no idea really how much is the keeper at the moment. Maybe in in the future we will, but yeah, it's it, the the weird part about Manchester United is how much their their numbers have changed too. Like so, last year they were like fifteen and a half shots a game. They're giving up uh, a clip over nine, right? This mm-hmm. year it looks almost Moisian. It's like thirteen and a half shots a game. They're giving up eleven and a half. Yeah, like that that looks like sort of ripe for the fall and you don't have a long deep Europa League run to blame you don't really have like there's not a lot behind that it 
it's a it's a strange element of dysfunction that's going on. There's a little bit last season they they were they got stuck in draws at home and couldn't get out of it and kept bat- trying to batter teams to get out of it. I think sure. I haven't looked at the, um, the the time numbers. I think they've spent more time ahead. They've got ahead and then just kind of Mourinho'd their way through a few games. But at the same time, like there's been plenty of games where they've literally turned up and played what you'd consider mediocre opposition and just they haven't pumped them at all and you know they should they've got the they have got enough talent on in that team to um you know routinely pump lesser teams like most of the big teams have been this season uh but it just it just hasn't happened it's odd i mean you think Mourinho's styles he's 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 he seems to become more pragmatic by the year and you know play the percentages in some way but yeah there's, there's not much about man united's numbers that makes you think like yeah second place good good job sure and the <laughs> we kind of go back remember when uh when arsenal signed petter check and i can't remember which pundit that we would probably laugh at anyway said that he's worth what 10 plus points a year to them like some some crazy number yeah it's not unreasonable to to think that Davidea has been worth a crazy number of points to Manchester United this year, though. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> he has had an exceptional year, uh, and 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 not just this year. Like he's had an exceptional sort of three year run, four year run, like yeah. since the the last two LBG years. Uh, he's been amazing at the things that he does. Ederson also is amazing. So you know, if you wanted to say who's the better keeper, I don't know, but Manchester City makes Ederson. Less important to to Manchester than David de Gea is otherwise. <clears throat> and that's the thing, you know. We only we only know that David David de Gea is uh, as good as good as you'll think we know he's as good as he is because he's had to make saves and he's made them. You know, their their defense their defense still looks looks. You don't look at Man United's defense and say like, oh yeah, those players are world class. They you know like you know when you have Vidic and Ferdinand and you know Evra patrolling the flank and whatever, you'd be like, yeah, this is a really good defense. And now only twenty seven goals though. Uh, and only one more goal than Manchester City. Well, yeah. <laughs> That's kind of amazing. Um, all right. So anyway, if you look at United stuff, like as a gambler, if you had the predictive element season to season, you're like, yeah, they're due for a bit of a fall unless they had sort of like a massive restructuring in either head coach or some transfers that were upgrades. But yeah, tricky. Uh, moving on to Liverpool. So Liverpool have 80 goals, which is a lot. Um, in fact, it's 12 more than anybody else in in the league at this point. Uh, they've got a game that they've played extra, but uh, except for Manchester City, um, and they've given up 37. So, like the early season difficulty there and uh, and kind of defensive issues were were significant. But the weird part is like, plus 43 goal difference, quite large. Around them, Manchester United have five draws, but 67-27 sort of goals for goals against. Liverpool 80-37, but 12 draws. Yeah. That's weird. That doesn't normally happen for high-scoring teams. You're less likely to draw when you score more goals, not more. I think it was. I think it was most of it was early season, although it meant possibly in. Uh, I don't know they've had a few recently. They've had three in the last six. Yeah, it's. it's um, I might be tired, but. Yeah, it's 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 hard to know. I suppose you know, Champions League's become a priority as, as well. So you know, they may be kind of easing up in the league a little bit, but. Yeah, I mean that's the, the, before Christmas. It was the, the, this kind of narrative that Liverpool can't beat the bu- the bus parkers and stuff at, at home a little bit. And uh, I don't know. I think they've I, I think they've got a little bit beyond that. Um, like I said, I think they've been as as good as Man City like since Christmas um, in the in the bigger scheme of things. Like I said, last couple of weeks have 
gone a bit weird because they've been shuffling the pack for the Champions League and stuff. But um, well, we kind of talk about that that narrative for a second because you know, it's completely flipped this year. If if you look at the the table and and when who they've beaten and when, um, you know, they they beat Manchester City four three at home. They lost they've lost to you know, three of the the teams around them away. They haven't played Chelsea yet. They drew away at Arsenal as well. So that you know kind of has switched around. They've got a lot of draws against the the top eight. In fact. Um, at home, which is somewhat unusual, and then they've just trounced everybody else. The only blip is a one nil loss to to Swansea. Like there's some draws mixed in there. But you look at last year, and you see like a totally different pattern where they did great against the top, and they had a whole bunch of wins both home and away. Uh, but then like you know the loss against Bournemouth away, loss against Leicester away, lost to Palace and Swansea at home. Uh, it's a very different different pattern. Um, yeah, I don't know what to make of it. It's just different. Yeah, I mean, I think that was interesting because last year, um, I think Klopp had a reasonable uh, run of form against the good teams, like before then, and then last year had this huge skew towards like good results against top, top teams. And I think a lot but of they people, also got exhausted. Yeah, well, that's a, a lot of people thought that like he cracked beating top teams in some ways, and I, I thought it was probably just some like some one of those things kind of things, and it looks like that's the case. But yeah, the one thing you can say about Liverpool this season, and and it's it's a, almost like a a complete flip of um, like understanding is like how well he rotated his team through uh, January, uh, December, and January. <laughs> I distinctly remember the media narrative around this. Oh, you can't rotate like this. Why did you do this? And you're yeah, like, you guys, we have no information about what these guys look like behind the scenes, what the trainers are telling them, what the physios say, what the players are saying about themselves. I, everybody wants to judge from the outside, but you know if you're rotating and you're doing it fairly well, you deserve credit, and you have to rotate. Like this is the thing, you have to do it, or you'll have what happened last year. And they wanted to avoid that, and they successfully have. And golly gee, look where Liverpool are in the Champions League. <laughs> <laughs> Managers are like lepers; they don't often change their spots. But in this instance, this this year, Klopp really did, and uh, must have someone must have said, "Look, our players are shagged out." By March, we need to change this. Do this, please. And he was like, "Wow, you're right." And so, yeah, I mean, I think he um, he rotated ahead of the of the derby match in December, and then they drew with it. I think it was a late goal. Yeah, Everton picks up a late penalty from Rooney, and it was just like, "Oh, what's he doing?" And it's like, "Well, it's probably smart, and it's kind of worked out." But yeah, I don't know. Liverpool are oh. good. And they could win the Champions League, Ted. Although that's Liverpool not going to happen. Liverpool have drawn twice against Everton this year. Yeah. yeah. It's just, yeah, circumstance for most of the time. What's the bottom of the table look like? Well, this is the weird one. I did a little thing on this the other day. The bottom of the table is an absolute mess. It's all wrong. <laughs> it's all wrong. It's all wrong. No one's, no one's abjectly terrible, which is unusual. Maybe Stoke are not good. Maybe Swansea are not good. But, you know... One of those two is probably going to stay up, and um, apart from that, you take good, solid, decent, decent clubs like Southampton and even West Brom. Uh, they're right, right in the mix, and West Brom are all but gone. Southampton are really need to win, and their schedules—they mm, got to travel to Swansea, I think. But like, apart from that, you can't see them getting too many points. And um, yeah, I don't know. It's just. Just been weird. Like, no, it doesn't normally happen like this. Normally, you know, the Premier League lines up quite tightly, you know, with the odd team that um, exceeds expectation uh, one way or another, or <laughs> declines against it. But the bottom of the league is just, I don't know, 
it's it's not gone to anyone's plans really. Although there was a sure. tweet the other day. It's interesting. Like I, I thought I thought Sam Gregory had a really good tweet um uh just yesterday. Southampton have conceded only 5.33 expected goals more than Manchester United, but 27 goals more than United. And you know people use this to batter unexpected goals, and there's some variation inside of it, and you know, it's it's not clear. And as we were saying earlier, like Southampton don't have uh, David de Gea behind the sticks, but it does give you an idea kind of what you're relating back to as to you know, Southampton have been a weird underperformer for a couple of seasons now and it's hard to peg exactly why i haven't done a full analysis on it but it, it would be something to interesting to analyze and because the top of the table has been so good really and, and city especially have been insane um <clears throat> you know we've got like the bottom half are still pretty tightly clustered like southampton have 32 points and, and a 19 goal difference um swansea have 33 same same number of games played there Huddersfield 35, so like they're and West Ham 35 as well. And the Moyes narrative has been fairly crazy, like up down, up down, up down, positive spin, negative spin. Um, yeah, West Ham are basically the same. Yeah. <laughs> like the narrative changes, but but their underlying stuff is is basically the same. And they've kind of always been in trouble. And what happens around them is intriguing. Uh, for Southampton, I don't know. It's a yeah, you feel a little bad for them. Swansea have been fairly poor for a couple of seasons, and you never know when they're going to get clipped exactly. A bit like, you know, Wigan were kind of in and around. Sunderland were in and around the bottom for a long time until finally getting getting flushed. Um, yeah, do you think that – who's going to come out of this? Like, assume that Stoke probably don't and that West Brom are, are, are definitely doomed. Yeah, of that Southampton, Swansea, Huddersfield, and West Ham group, there's only three points different between them and some goal difference, like Southampton have the best goal difference of that lot. Who comes out? Yeah, I mean, like H- Huddersfield basically aren't going to get another point. They've got to travel to Chelsea and Man City and then uh, and then the last game is at home to Arsenal, Wenger's last game. Ah. Um, I mean, I know <laughs> Arsenal are terrible on the road, but I don't know. If they can't motivate themselves for that, then then they never will. Anyway, you know, that's they, they, they've got, you know, Huddersfield's tough games. Um Yes, so I think Swansea, Swansea at home to Stoke and Swansea at home to Southampton, and basically those are the two games that like will just yeah. decide everything. And yeah, that's probably true. And it's impossible really to to have a strong opinion. Obviously, you know, you, this this is this is you always get the, the like you know the percentages come out and people are like, oh, they're X to qualify for Champions League, X to get relegated. At this stage. And I don't mean nothing. It's too late. It's well, there's like, just a lot of variability. That's <laughs> yeah. that's really what it is. You know, like one result will actually change things, and we'll talk about that in the back half of the of this pod. About we're down to one result in, in the championship, and that league has been insane. And and last weekend especially. Um, so a couple other things. You know, I I don't know who's going to come out of there. Huddersfield probably looked like the most trouble. But they but do have a bit of a lead, so somebody, the other teams have to have to do something. Um, <clears throat> so on the player side, I was kind of poking around because I haven't paid that close attention. We've been working on a lot of other stuff recently, uh, not necessarily in and around the Premier League, and I kind of have found some some interesting narratives that, well, just interesting stats that I, I don't think it have been that talked about. Like first of all, Salah is on on forty goals and assists this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, like just in the in the league, so 31 goals, nine assists. That's a that's a big deal. <laughs> that, that, that's a that's a very large number there. Uh, to compare, Harry Kane is 27 and two, um, almost the same playing time. 
Aguero quietly went for for 21-6 and then had to shut it down because uh, of knee problems, but they've already won. But like Sterling is the big one here. Sterling has 18 goals and 11 assists, 2,400 minutes. As usual, getting no credit for whatever reason. People are often pushing. Well, I plenty of justification for it. The, the the media seems to at least certain elements of the media, especially the Mail and the Sun, have like a fairly racist agenda against him, and he's always getting battered, whereas you know, other other players do not. Um, and it's, it's kind of been a, a long history of Sterling. Like he gets battered for whatever he does. Uh, but like eighteen and eleven for a wide forward is great. Yeah, that's that's really impressive, isn't it? I didn't realize he got quite that high. Actually, that's um. Well, exactly. That's, uh, that's you don't sterling know work. Get it? <laughs> oh, never mind. He's setting up a joke here. <laughs> but no, it is. It is. Don't, don't laugh at him, people. Just don't encourage this. He's 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 certainly certainly made some kind of leap. And I I, I was skeptical about whether he's going whether he's going to do this. Like I don't care about his off the field stuff. That's that's irrelevant to me. It's, it's I mean it should be relevant to everyone really. Um, but like on the pitch, it looked like maybe since since bursting through at Liverpool and like looking like in that 13-14 team looking like you know going to be a huge talent stagnated is probably a little harsh but it felt like he hadn't quite come forward as far as he hoped and then this season yeah there you go 20, he's 23 years old and now we now we got a player on our hands <laughs> and, in, uh, in many ways he's unstoppable especially in that system like, yeah. if you're if you're not like the main issue uh, or, or like the if he's not the main person that you have to worry about, the main source of danger, and Aguero is a big source, and De Bruyne is a big source, and Sané is a big source, like, you just, it's almost impossible to contain all of Manchester City's weapons. Um, you know, Liverpool kind of did it through you know, some gigging press and, and, and like really, really fast attacks, and uh, and some you know quality finishing and, and whatever. So like the the Sterling one, I think is is kind of underrepresented. Uh, Vardy's got 34 match starts of these plays, 17 goals. Fairly impressive. Sterling's only got one uh, one penalty as well. Lukaku with sixteen and seven, like that's a, a pretty solid season for. And again, gets battered for whatever reason. People don't like him because he's so big. Firmino, I think, is another unusual one. And it kind of goes back to the power of the the Liverpool attack. You know, a lot of his work is. You wouldn't say that he's primarily a goal scorer in a lot of ways. Like he's a false nine. He does great pressing work. He's a he's a physical real challenge for everybody to deal with but like a 15 and 7 season as as like really not the primary goal scorer pretty impressive as well yeah and it's a bit of a leap for him it's unusual <clears throat> you flip over to the assist side and and this is so de bruyne has 15 assists this year uh last year he had what 19 he's a lot yeah something like that he's been pretty consistently <laughs> the best like create creator in europe for about i don't know four years now well he he and sesk for a while but you know sesk is what five years older Something and like brother Mesut, he's a de- he's a decent. Effort. Oh yeah, I've heard about that guy. A, a quiet one this year, maybe a little. <laughs> Sane has twelve. Uh, Silva has eleven. So and Sterling has eleven. So the top four guys all play for Manchester. <laughs> yeah, that's wild. <laughs> all right. <laughs> but then the next one, is, the next two, in fact, are Spurs players, mm-hmm. uh, which we didn't talk about much because you know, there's, there's not that much left to talk about. Spurs are doing their Spurs thing. Um, but yeah, like Delhi Alley nine and ten this year, and you know, Delhi becoming more of a provider and less of a, a goal scorer, an intriguing uh, kind of underlying bit. And another guy that you know, Delhi's only twenty two, like Sterling's only twenty three, uh, Sadi's only twenty two. Like, there's a lot of exciting young talent, um, and two of those three guys are, are English. So 
you know, they're, they're still a bit under the radar. I haven't gotten as much credit. Ozil, I guess, 2,100, 2,200 minutes, um, eight assists this year. Goodmanson from from Burnley has eight assists. Intriguing. <laughs> and Pogba with a 6'10 from midfield uh, and only about 2,000 minutes. So there's, like, you know, the providers are still out there. Pogba's another one that has had kind of a, a strange season in terms of, like, recognition for what's happened. It's, it's true. Like, you look at that list of players, like, you know, the creators of the Premier League. And when you when you delve into numbers and you look at, like, kind of, like, final third passing and, you know, create, you know, expected assists kind of things and all this, you know, these are these are the guys that come up, like, time and again. You know, you can you can you can predict that list, like year in year out like off the top of your head but like you think about yeah the, the varying narrative of all these players like even Ericsson Ericsson's like he's 26 years old and he's, un, he's probably still under heralded you know he's, he, he would fit in any team in the world and, and like do well we but, also forget how young Tottenham got him right? <laughs> yeah, he, yeah. he was really very young when he came on board and people didn't think he was athletic enough to play in the league and I looked at it and I was like even if you discount yeah, the the Dutch league, like passing stuff, really tends to to stay true, and he he was like such an easy buy in the last year of his contract. There, they did it, and and he's been great. And yeah, you know, part of that is Pochettino, but part of it is just like Christian Eriksen is is a world class player. I kind of well, like to see, in my opinion, I'd kind of like to see Eriksen in a less structured uh, team because I agree with that. He's he's so good. He is great in Tottenham's like very like strict. Uh, team, but yeah, just just seeing him give, giving his head and just go go play, Chris. That would be uh, that would be pretty good. And you see flashes of it when he plays for Denmark and uh, you know takes takes on a little bit more responsibility. And in fact, when it was interesting because uh, a bit of a narrative about Kane at the moment because he's been looks like he's been playing at like half fit for the last month or whatever after racing back from injury. The one or two games that Tottenham played without him, and you had uh, like a front four without. Like a nominal striker, I think you had Son in there and uh, Ericsson, Lamella, and Ali kind of behind him. Man, did they look good! They were like they were making the runs, like and interchanging, and uh, like you know, because Kane stays in the same place most of the time. Right. Like Ericsson was like you know getting into the box, uh, uh, and it just looked. It was like, oh my god, this is really fluid. All of a sudden, I mean, not <laughs> who's this team? Aren't, but it was it was certainly different without the kind of Kane focus. I mean, what, who who am I to criticize criticize Kane's role in Tottenham side with with all his goals and stuff? But yeah, it was, it was an interesting, very brief experiment when uh, when he was out of the team this time because in the past they've they've suffered a little without him. But um, yeah, they've not looked great since he's been back. Uh, Two more quick now. notes. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Uh, so you know how, like, for years, everybody's like, oh, possession is such an important stat, and it's you know, fairly correlated with the league table and this and that, and it's not really a <clears throat> causation versus correlation thing. Like, we've kind of pushed that aside and blown it out. Um, so the top six teams in, in possession this year are the top six, as you would expect, although Manchester United are, are sixth. Um, City are, you know, they have two-thirds of the ball. <clears throat> Who's the seventh? Mm, go on. Southampton. <laughs> Poor Southampton. And they are, in fact, the only team that has over 50% out of the whole rest of the table because City have such a, a dominant uh, amount of it. And also, like, a lot of the rest of the table doesn't seem to want to play with the ball. They've changed styles a bit. You know, for years we were told, oh, yeah, well, you know, they want to... Uh, the Premier League has changed. It's more passing-orientated. Like, seems like that's on a, a bit of a downswing at the moment. We'll see how long that lasts. 
So the other interesting thing is, who are the two league leaders in set-piece goals? And there is variability across the table. At one point, Spurs in recent years were very good at them. For most of this year, they haven't been. I can tell you that you know, set-piece goal focus, like if you've got somebody good at it, you can maintain this. So one of, the, one of my, my happiest things is that <clears throat> Michelin, even after losing sort of the initial uh, coach of set-pieces, Brian Priska, who then went on to Copenhagen and you know, helped them to a couple of dominant seasons. Um, they've managed to maintain a very high level of, of set-piece expertise with, uh, with Mads Budkerite. Gets should get a lot of credit there. Uh, you know, if you're looking for a set-piece coach, there's Mads. Or you could call us. We could talk about it. Um, <laughs> but anyway, back to this. Who are the top two in the Premier League in terms of set-piece production teams? Hmm. <laughs> is it, let's just, out of the top of my head, is it Arsenal and Bournemouth? It is Arsenal and Bournemouth. How did you do that, James? That's magical. <laughs> I looked at it the other day, but yeah, it's um, yeah. So no one would expect that, would they? Really, at all? Like you know, both teams. In fact, both teams have probably got the kind of most. I don't know. Unstructured sounds cruel, but kind of unstructured like passing open play system. Like, if you feel like there's there's less that goes into their how they build their open play. Uh, attacks compared to the set pieces people people who have listened to this podcast over the years have definitely definitely heard us discuss how arsenal have these very very good set piece takers and if you just even spent some time on it you you could probably get some some pretty strong returns on on that type of investment um you know someone might have sent uh some frustrated presentations about certain elements of set pieces (laughs) Uh, to certain people who might or might not work at Arsenal. I can't remember. It's, it's that guy again. Uh, <laughs> but the Bournemouth, Bournemouth one is, is interesting. Cause, I mean, clearly, this isn't really a blip. This is, that we know that they're training it, um, and they do some stuff. Uh, you know, uh, not friend of the podcast, Tom, Tom Weber, <laughs> who's often critical about things. Uh, we don't know whether he has any impact, but certainly we know that people are, are paying attention in Bournemouth. Um, the next two are City and, and United. A part of that is just volume of yeah, yeah. Know, do they generate a lot of set pieces. Then West Brom, former Pulis, uh, then Tottenham, Chelsea. Chelsea are a lot lower than they were last year. Uh, you know, Chelsea are a weird team this year. Uh, but then, like again, in eighth place, it's it's Southampton. It's the open play goals that Southampton have only eighteen of, mm-hmm. which uh, puts them above Su- Sunderland or Su- not Sunderland, Huddersfield and, and Swansea. So like, uh, oh, and, and West Brom have fourteen. So, but yeah, it's it's such an odd thing. Like I don't know. We'll we'll see if this maintains or not. Uh, we'll see when the next manager comes in if Arsenal managed to, to push that up, and we'll we'll see what happens at Bournemouth, who only have twenty four open play goals. So that's kind of a, it feels unusual, but I guess that kind of fits in with the rest of the league this year. Yeah, like I say, it's, it's just some odd, odd narratives that have bounced out of, um, about out of, bounced out of expectation. And like teams, there isn't, there isn't a bad team that just gets trounced. There's normally bad teams that people rack up their, their goal difference against. And, you know, there isn't really one of those teams, maybe, st- again, maybe Stoke a little bit because, um, but then, you know, they're, they're always, under Hughes, they were always bad against the, the, the good teams in the league. Who has the most penalty goals? Um, no, I don't know. I haven't looked at that. Recently. I had no idea, and I never would have expected it. Crystal Palace. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it's City. Bournemouth normally do uh, 
do well for whatever reason at that as well. Normally, even going, there was I think there was a narrative last season about like oh, do, do Bournemouth earn penalties? They've only got three this season, so um, right. Maybe Jamie Vardy also <laughs> historically has generated like Vardy and Mahrez both actually seem to. Have, have historically generated a bunch. I don't know. Have I, I've, I've, I'm pretty sure I've told you this. I don't know. I'm not sure if I've broadcast it widely. But my my little Jamie Vardy fact that I found when I was messing around looking at fouls at one point was that the rate in which the amount of fouls that uh, Jamie Vardy received, the rate of which are inside the box compared to like all of his fouls, it's something like it's something like 12 percent of his uh, fouls he receives are in the <laughs> box, right? No one else I could find is over about 6%. Huh. So basically, you touch Jamie Vardy in the box, he's going down. Which <laughs> that tallies with, I think, things we know. I think the World Cup, he tripped himself up and stuff like that. But, uh, you know, this guy's got game when it comes to penalties. And uh, But, you know, you touch him anywhere else in the, on the field, and he's probably quite tough, probably stays up really well. But it, it's, it's by you're going to get us in trouble, you know. It's by some in, insane <laughs> margin. It's in the data. It's just facts, Ted. It's facts. <laughs> Usually, I'm the one that gets us in trouble. It's All true. right, it's, moving along. It's the... um, let's go to the championship. They have all played 45 games now. Yeah. And Wolves have won with 99 points right now and a chance to go over 100. Um, yeah, if you looked early in the season. Uh, if you look at my stuff, talking about how they brought on two Champions League players, young players that could have easily gone to, to Liverpool or wherever in, in Diogo Jota and uh, <sighs> Ruben Neves. <laughs> um, yeah, they've been awesome. Uh, and then, like, at the for the last automatic promotion spot, where you have this, it hasn't, feels like it hasn't happened in a little bit, but like 89 and 88 points for Cardiff and Fulham. And uh, and Cardiff play Reading at home this this weekend, and Fulham go to Birmingham, who are at the other end of the table, uh, both of which. <clears throat> so that's quite intriguing. And then you also have the final playoff spot up for grabs. Derby have seventy two points and a, and a nineteen goal difference. Uh, they kind of had a had a slow early start, an amazingly hot middle, and then have cooled off. They had three losses in, in their last six, but and a, and a draw. So we'll see there. But Preston. Uh, have a chance in seventh. They have 70 points. Uh, yeah, they need a bit of help, uh, plus 10 goal difference. Uh, people were saying the Millwall do, uh, have a chance as well, but in reality, the goal difference is so big that yeah, even on 69 points, Derby would have to have the most catastrophic possible weekend, and Millwall would have to be amazing. Uh, so that's cool. But like the other end of the table is insane. They've played 46 matches in this in this league. They've played 45 of them, and there are six. One, two, three, four. There are five teams fighting to stay out of those bottom two relegation spots. Um, yeah, Bolton were very bad early in the season. Burton were very bad early in the season. But Burton are on like a three-game winning streak. Yeah, uh, they're coming out from the dead at the moment, aren't they? Yeah, really. Like yeah. These, these people have been dead for a while. Yeah. <laughs> they zombies and, right now. They've come yeah, back. Yeah, sure. Well, and Bolton had had like a, a big um, you know renaissance. They'd actually done quite well, and then they've lost five of their last six with a draw. So like now they're so Bolton are in twenty third with forty points minus thirty six goal difference. Burton are in twenty second with forty one points and a minus forty two goal difference, which is actually the worst in the league. It's worse than Sunderland's. <clears throat> and you have Barnsley, who are also on forty one, but have twenty one better goal difference than Burton. Yeah. <laughs> they just haven't <laughs> again like like the Premier League their team hasn't got stuffed but they've lost like narrow games a lot as as is evident whereas Burton are the team that have got whipped quite regularly I sure think. but but Barnsley managed to beat 
Brentford uh, in, in Barnsley last week, uh, you know, knocking Brentford out of any any playoff contention. Um, so then they, you have the two that are <sighs> vulnerable, but kind of sort of safe. Uh, there are a lot of results I have to go against them, which is Birmingham, who had been awful for most of the year, despite having really good talent, and a giant budget. Uh, are on 43, so they're still touchable with a minus 32 goal difference, so that makes them more touchable. And then there's Reading, who have 43 as well. You remember Reading, who waited into the playoffs last year and actually to the playoff final last year and were knocked out by by Huddersfield. Um, they their underlying stats are better this year, but they still yeah, have a chance to be relegated. That's funny, isn't it? Because Stam like you know <laughs> carried the can for their form, but it's like, well, you're pretty much the same, mate. You know, you <laughs> you're not any better or worse than you were. It's just your results have gone the other way. Sorry, mate. But they they have a minus twenty two goal difference, so like they're really pretty pretty safe. Um, so like there's this is fascinating thing. Also, some of those teams at the top who are competing um, for either automatic promotion or for for the final playoff spot are playing these these bottom teams. So it's not like mm-hmm. everybody doesn't give a fuck. It's that they yeah, all yeah. care and it all matters, which is Derby, very exciting. Derby Preston 6th, 7th, play Burton Barnsley or 21st, 22nd. That's really yes. nicely done, nicely organized that. So, so if you get a chance, if you've got like two hours of your, your day this weekend to spend watching the final round of the championship, there may be some pretty good action. And special notice, uh, just before we, we wrap this up, is that Hull have played 45 matches, have scored 69, given up 69, and the only thing I had to say about that is, nice. I'm glad you let yourself do that little thing. Because <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm sure I missed my cue last time you threw it my way, so that's fair enough. <laughs> um, that's okay. Beyond that, so like some, some brief player notes on, on the championship. Who is the leading goal scorer in the league? Who's I haven't looked. Go on. Matej Vidra. Oh, right, him. Yeah, at Derby, 20 goals, only three assists. Um, he's kind of been, feels like he's almost a championship lifer, but he's still only 26 at this point. He does very well at that league. Yeah, so look, look at this session on 17 years old, 15 goals. <laughs> what the hell? He's got a yeah. in the summer, isn't he? Surely someone's going to buy him. Yeah. Well, if Fulham go up, then they'll try and keep him. But yeah, it, the selection bias there is massive. Like Basically, he started as a, as a left back, but he's such a, a great physical specimen and, and a good attacker, and they moved him forward. And I don't know, there's some, some Welsh guy that has done similar things that turned yes, out to be... Yes, Bale comparisons, that's what you want. New, <laughs> new Bale. No pressure, lad. You're the new Gareth Bale. Hey, Gareth <laughs> the, the Bale second... could come back in the summer, you never know. He seems to be in and out of the team. Anyway. The second place uh, goal scorer in the championship going into this, uh, this weekend is Bobby Reed at Bristol City. Um, Bristol seemed to ha- end up with like pretty good goal scores uh, the last couple of seasons. Um, Kojia was was there before, and and I remember looking at Reed the last season that we were at Brentford because I think he was coming out on a free, and we we're like he's really intriguing because uh, it creates a lot of key passes, pretty good dribbler, seemed to be like a, a pretty good uh, a decent prospect because I think at that time he was 22, and they ended up keeping him, and obviously it's pretty good that they did. Uh, third goal scorer is Leon Clark, 18 goals for Sheffield United. Um, fourth is Diego Jota. Uh, fifth is Britt Asambolanga, who deserves note because he's got 15 goals and zero assists. He's, he's got the Defoe going on there. <laughs> Don't sell Defoe. Really, I'll get upset more people. <laughs> <laughs> I, I had to bring him in towards the end of the season, you know. Um, then on the assist side, so Barry Douglas at Wolves. Snodgrass, who we knew was probably quite good at this level yeah he's got to be he's, yeah no surprises in well there 
Caballero at, at Wolves again, like quite a dominant team. Luke Freeman with five and and, and twelve assists, five goals, twelve assists. Junior Hoyle with nine eleven. Uh, so you know a name that's been around forever, but still only twenty seven. So another guy that started quite early, and then Adama, who is only twenty two, uh, the most amazing dribbler in the world, sort of. <laughs> But it seems like uh, he's been turned in in the more correct direction. Uh, the magic so- of Pulis. Pulis has got in his head and I don't know. Told him to told him to, what to do. You we know that Tony Pulis knows where goals are scored. And- <laughs> Young players and wingers, and <laughs> this is what he's all about. <laughs> But, Never yeah. in the history of the planet and Tony Pulis's career has that been said before. <laughs> it's, it's kind of funny though. I mean, he's obviously he's obviously looked at him and thought, "My God, right? I must be able to do something with these the tools this kid's got." The question was always, if he had better coaching, could he do better? Mm-hmm. And maybe Tony Pulis was the answer, which yeah, yeah. unexpectedly it, so. It'd be interesting to see how, how how well he can back it up because uh, he's still dribbling like insane amounts of time per game which uh, sure. gets stats people stats people like get uh, probably slightly incorrectly excited about that but uh, it's uh, <laughs> it's still fun to see him like on a chart like miles away from everyone else yeah yeah he's uh, he's probably the biggest outlier in almost anything we can think of a bit like pascal gross <laughs> a few few years ago like his his passes into the box were were so absurd across like the data set you're like man this guy there's something going on here uh <laughs> He went up with Ingolstadt that year. We couldn't get a hold of him, but uh, ended up doing pretty well this season for, for Brighton. Uh, one quick note for, for Martin Waghorn, who has scored 15 goals and has 10 assists. So he's got the, the In double. a big McCarthy team as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Ipswich fans, you know, shout out to, to all of our listeners from um, Ipswich. <laughs> Ravi, Ravi's an Ipswich man. That's true. Ravi. And I, I also like Matt Smith doing well for QPR because uh, we had him actually flagged up as as like a, a very, if you get him on the cheap coming out of Fulham, you knew Fulham were going to get rid of him. He chose to stay in London. Uh, he's eleven goals, nine assists, and only about two thousand minutes. And then James Madison there, um, who we think will probably go to the Premier League this year for some large fee. It's been a fun season in the championship. We say that every year. Uh, it it doesn't really change. There's so much parity, but also like you know, you get some weird storylines. You get different styles. You get a lot of uh, you know the player quality in championship is actually pretty good now. Um, yeah, yeah, and this you know this, it feels like there's more ever more money down there, and you know there's there's usually a, a a fair few teams that have you know spent spent up and you know more and more kind of Premier League quality players, I guess. Are, are, Either staying in the championship or you know emerging through through the championship is um is, is pretty strongly. We should also probably you know briefly pay our respects to Sunderland, who have done the double relegation in consecutive seasons from Premier League. Um, I wouldn't say it's a fond farewell, and in fact, at the beginning of the year, <laughs> I think just just as the the season was starting, I was like, man. I, I I didn't think Sunderland were good, but like I looked at that squad, and my quote is, "It's a meteor crater." <laughs> That's how bad it was. Now I didn't think that they would be this bad, but it's time, time yeah. to go. Yeah, it's, it's it's tough, isn't it? Because they're going to be this, this huge club in in, in League One, and they should, if they got at least whatever they do, they should be able to pluck themselves out of that league. Uh, just just with you know, sheer budget reasons should be enough for that but it's yeah it's, it's tough There's a lot of lessons have been learned the poor ellis short who's been absolutely hammered for years and left them having paid off having paid off what, something like 130 million pounds worth of debt and to give him a blank slate 
on top of however many other millions he must have sunk into what was a project that didn't go to plan. <laughs> yeah, fair respect to him for <laughs> you know, leaving them in a, in a decent state. We'll probably see them again soon. And speaking of which, you'll see us again soon because we have another podcast coming next week. Yeah, so on we do. that note, should we say goodbye? Indeed. Adios, people.